0: I don't understand is that Paris is the city of love. So, Well, apparently, yeah. But you, because you've never been for love reasons... Is that true? You, yes, that is so true. Paris is not the city of logistics, is what you're saying.
1: I just don't like it. I don't like Paris. My mum, a very wise woman, always says that Paris is better in theory than in practice. Is and that I'm, right? I'm let's inclined to agree with her. Let's look at pictures and not go to the Yeah, pictures. no, it has a set pieces... On the set piece, man, <laughs> it's got it's got bits. Describing that, our podcast, it's got bits that <laughs> Good really in work. Theory. The Arc de Triomphe, great arc. The the Louvre, great great it's museum. Tr- it's, it, it is a triumph of an arc. The Tuileries Gardens, lovely gardens, great hedges. But as a city, it just doesn't do anything for me. There's not there's not a reason why I would if I had to choose to go somewhere, it wouldn't be Paris. Well, I mean, what, obviously, what I can't complain. Th- oh, I got sent to Paris for work. Oh. That's not much of a complaint, is it really?
0: But if, okay, so if you, if you want to work anywhere, if you were sent for a Champions League match mm-hmm. anywhere, where would you choose? Rome. Rome? Or <laughs> Florence, Florence, maybe Florence. Florence. Yeah. And if you were, had to go for a meal anywhere, where would you go? Uh, we'll, so we'll stick to Europe. Bologna. Bologna, and if you had to go for. Or Valencia. Um, if you had to go for the
1: culture. Define culture.
0: Okay, well. Uh, like points of interest? Point, uh, no, that's, that's sightseeing. Culture okay. as in, you know, experiencing the arts, whether it be...
1: You're barking up the wrong tree here. You can say Rome twice. <laughs> like Madrid, maybe. Madrid, yeah, and now sightseeing, so points of interest. Right. Right. I just think that in, in all the things that you you get, that you use to like, gauge whether you like a place, Paris, for me, and it's all a matter of taste, Hugh, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't come top in any category. Is that right? Yeah.
0: So, okay, then the final... Uh, this this should be the one that paris wins the final also
1: the, also, the final subject no, also, is, the, is romance the other thing about paris that you need to know the parc des princes the, the stadium in paris which you you may be aware of i'm, I'm familiar with the paris parc, Saint-Germain, saint-germain play so it's you, in saint-germain you get to porte de saint-cloud i think or porte tete which is the, the metro stop fine it's quite a long way on the metro i don't mind that i had a book with me uh, it was rush hour a bit of a pain You then get to Porte d'Orte, and you're kind of at the, almost at the top of the stadium and the media entrance is on the left-hand side as you look at it. To walk to it you have to turn like direct left, like proper hard left, then walk down one street, then another street, then turn left again away from the stadium, and, it, and then right, then left again, then right, and it's this, it takes about tw- that okay? 25 <laughs> minutes, I've not described it well. but at every From the
2: nearest metro
1: station yeah, to the stadium. To, no, the stadium is dead easy, if you're a fan, fantastic, and that obviously is the most important thing. Journalists whinging about where the media entrances are, again, not a massive complaint. But it's just a really frustrating experience, especially when it's raining. When you you can see the stadium and you know where the media entrance is, but at every gate there's like a um, the, all the roads are closed. Obviously, at every gate there is a, a security guard saying, "No, no, no, Prochain, prochain The next one, and you think, <laughs> but it's literally there. I can see it, and I I kind of lost my temper with one of the one of the, the steward people. Oh, yeah, not the, not to like a West Ham extent. Did you <laughs> did you do it in French? Yeah, I said it's the stu- this is the stupidest thing I've ever encountered. In French, or worse to that effect, I'll probably use the word putain at some point.
0: Oh, well, we shouldn't be swearing on the podcast, so. <laughs> We're not to swear in French, are we? Are we
2: allowed to swear in French? Merde! <laughs> I think that's that's <laughs> always been acceptable, isn't it?
0: I always get a little bit frustrated at Wigan at the DW Stadium because you uh, the, the car park takes you basically down a little ramp across the it does. across the water and the media entrance is very close by, but you have to go beyond yep. the media entrance up to the ticket office to pick up your accreditation and then all the way back again. And there are a number of concession stands which I would like to buy a pie from, mm-hmm. which I have to say no to. Mm. Uh, po- find that right Hang of- on why? I have to say no to. Why do you have to say no to them? Because there is a free one in the press room. What? Actually, they've stopped doing that now, haven't they, rather famously?
2: The, the Wigan press room has stopped serving pies. I, w- right? I, yeah, I was at Wigan for the FA Cup replay against Bournemouth recently. I think I heard Cold, you. wet, drizzly night. I, had a, I was full of a cold. I was struggling with a sore throat. I got stuck in traffic on the way there. And the only thing that really kept me going other than the prospect, of course, of the excitement of an FA Cup replay, was the fact that it pies in the Wigan Mm. press room, legendary for their brilliance, very often a massive scoop to shovel chips alongside it on the plate. Got there, nothing. What I mean? What's the point in Wigan they're not serving pies? Well, you know these
0: are postcards from Paris and the DW Stadium, and both unfortunately have suffered a little I mean, from the storytelling. Wigan again, better in theory than in practice. <laughs> that's, that's true. If you were to compare, no, let's not compare Paris and Wigan too many times because no. for food, Wigan, for
1: <laughs> for but sightseeing, Wigan. Like well, a, they've got a pier. There is an all for There's peers. an Orwell link, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. For culture, yeah. No, I oh, meant between, for between the, Paris for and Wigan. the impact it's had on literature, yeah. Wigan probably. Between Paris and Wigan, there is a w- an Orwell. Maybe if PSC played Wigan, that would be an Orwellian derby. Uh, uh, between Paris and Wigan, there is a lot of miles. Yeah, that's true.
0: And that yeah. is all we can say about it. Welcome to Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is from the oven. It has been baked um, by a combination of Rory Smith and me, Hugh Ferris. The gingerbread is sensational so thank you tori for that that's all right the uh, orange layer cake is from it's basically castoffs from Did you mother's that? day
3: yes so Did you, you um, made it yes you i made it
0: made it is a mary berry recipe it's amazing for all people not in the uk mary berry is the kind of person who you get cake recipes from mary berry is the woman you would like to be your grandma she is the martha stewart of uh, the uk because she, she does have a book about household tips as well. Oh, does she? Yeah. But she's never been where, jailed. Where to, no, that's true. Where to put your towels and things like that. Uh, so the, uh, the the mother-in-law and the sister-in-law mm-hmm. and the sister-in-law's mother-in-law um, oh, God, all enjoyed sick. on Mother's Day. Because we have Mother's Day in March, I think, in a lot of other countries at a different time of year. Is that right? You made that? I made that, yes. That's amazing.
1: Why is it amazing? Because I thought it was sh- I assumed when I was eating it that it was shop-bought. Oh, no, I, I could tell it had been
2: homemade. A I just bit didn't of a think it had been reception. homemade in, in <laughs> Hugh's house by either I, I Hugh made or it,
1: I made
0: it on the Sunday morning, and I took it um, to our gathering at uh, the sister-in-law's house, and all in-laws and mothers enjoyed it.
1: See, now I feel as though my gingerbread isn't that special. But it
2: is. I've tasted it. I've not tasted any cakes. So your, your gingerbread was very special, and I'm looking forward absolutely. to Ed, Edward getting older and you realising that time for the frivolities of baking are completely gone. Rory is not a frivolous baker. I'm not. Not it's a pra- in the slightest. It's a
0: practical bakery. It's a practical bakery, and it's, it serves it serves a need, and we all needed it, so thank you very much indeed. Do I, do I love my son more than I love gingerbread? I don't know. Where does Hector come in
1: that? At uh, top. <laughs>
0: Uh, that was a joke. That was That's a joke. <laughs> a joke, yeah, a joke that you say a little bit too
2: often yeah. for it to be entirely comfortable.
0: Uh, you'll notice Chinch is not here. Chinch, as we mentioned in last week's podcast, uh, when Rory wasn't here, but we still managed to get a little bit of Rory, we will manage to get a little bit of Chinch later, despite the fact that for the next two weeks he is in Portugal building a house. With his own bare hands. He believes that it is essential travel on account of the fact that his house is not being built by the builders without him being there, so he needs to be there to, as we said last week, uh, differentiate between two sinks and an extractor fan. Which okay. apparently at the moment is not something that is being done particularly successfully.
2: I also think you need to, you, you're overselling it by saying he's building a house. That makes him sound incredibly masculine and as mm. though he's moving breeze blocks and bricks and stuff around the place. He has previously built a house. But the, the, the house is there, the, the building exists. He doesn't like the inside of it and is changing the <laughs> inside in, he's, of the property. He's doing interior design. Yeah. In Chinch's
0: absence, with me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith of the New York Times, whose last two pieces have been about PSG and Pogba. And Stephen Wyeth of BT Sport, whose last two commentaries have involved teams from Rostov-on-Don and (laughs) Salford-on-Canal. So uh, we will uh, have some chinch later because he has recorded us a soccer story, which we have safely stowed. Um, for you for a little bit later on. Thank you for all your uh, responses to not only the SPMPL, which will be resolved in a special bonus pod uh, to come a little bit later on, but also for your uh, responses to our... uh, episode last week about corners so at set piece menu is where you can find us on Twitter and set piece menu at gmail.com is where your emails have come in uh, this is from Stuart Hill hallelujah finally some analysis of corner kicks he says the things that annoy me more than anything else in the modern game Chinch is right he says ridiculously mm. because that's not something we've ever heard before that there aren't many decent corner takers in the Premier League I watch a lot of football across various levels and I can say confidently that Ashley Carew I don't know if he's related to John Carew of my second 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 team, Dulwich Hamlet, Mm -hmm. delivers decent corners more consistently than anyone who plays for my first team, Manchester United. And also thank you, he says, to Chinch for bringing up the issue of players on posts. Watching match of the day, there's an occasion every week where a goal could have been prevented by having a man on a post regardless of whether it's man or zonal marking and he says atletico madrid would have won the champions league in 2014 if they just had a man on the post sergio ramos leaking leaking like a salmon, <laughs> how, like a salmon. how does a salmon leak freshwater leakage uh, and it's, it just went in just inside the left hand post didn't it it really, if you had had a man on the post, he would, would have, have been he would have prevented. slashed it away, yeah. Slashed it away, probably into the top of the net and looked like a fool. Um, so, you know, a significant, uh, a significant contribution from Stuart. Chris Walker has got in touch on Twitter, at Chapino. best corner taker ever, Sinisa Mihailovic. Yeah, yeah, we've had a couple um, of those, yeah. Also, underrated tactical corners, says Chris, taking it so quickly that the defence cannot set up an advantage is with the attacker. Totti did this, and it caused mayhem. I wasn't going to include that, um, but I did on account of the fact that it mentioned Francesco Totti. Did so, I, I mention so that? So uh, Rory method. could
1: say just that No, but that's right. I quite often think, and obviously I wasn't here for the corner special. But you still contributed but, excellently. But I do often, I, I do often think it's odd that everybody there's this sort of weird um, consensus that we're all going to wait around. And I, I don't know whether... The, does the referee have to whistle for the corner to be taken? I don't know if he does. And it's very odd that everyone says, right, well, what we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll take 45 seconds. Wait for the you, two centre-backs. You get all your fellas back, <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll just... We'll, we'll go, go at it man-on-man, man, rather yeah. than thinking, as Totty did, yeah, we can, we can get an advantage.
0: Um, and finally, Adam, who's at 35who on Twitter. For left-footers, I have to say Chris Brunt. This is talking about uh, the best exponents of corner-taking uh, at the moment. And for right-footers, James Prowse, But king of them all... Has to be the ambidextrous Santi Cazorla, and this is from an Arsenal fan who has a picture of an Arsenal player in his avatar. He's
1: right; the better than. than or most, him in an Arsenal shirt. The say. Most, better than most top six. I think corners get worse the higher up you go. The lead. I think better teams are worse
2: at taking them, um, which makes Well, because it they, they need the, I think, as Chinch made the point, because they they need that tactic. The least, yeah. the better teams have multiple ways in which they can score a goal. Teams down the bottom, those set pieces around the penalty area are often the, the, the best opportunities they get to, to put the better team under pressure.
1: But I also wonder whether there's an, there's an element of, and this may be something that Chinch touched on as well, I tried to listen to the podcast, but for some reason couldn't. Did it, uh, it not work in Paris? <laughs> no, it was... It was I, undownloadable no, do you know what I yeah, to? That's was, one
0: of the reasons I really dislike Paris.
1: <laughs> I listened to the podcast whilst watching Hector, as we all know, uh, and try to download, it, try to download it. And for some reason, it kept saying episode unavailable. Which is it's doing with a lot of my podcasts at the moment.
0: Not right. just set piece menu. First of all, you need to upgrade your software.
1: Oh,
3: is that
0: right? Sometimes you need to get rid of the app and reload the app. Oh. Um, but thirdly. I think it's got something inbuilt which says that if you're not on it, then you don't get to listen to it. Oh, right, fine.
2: So no, it, no, you've also got to listen to the episodes that you are on which Rory sometimes refuses to do. I generally refuses, don't, don't like the sound of my own voice. Uh, no, s- hang on, p- hang on, I've not pe- made my point. S- at
0: set piece menu yeah. and setpiecemenu at gmail.com is how you get in touch to make your points a little bit quicker
1: than Rory can. Uh, oh, no, I've forgotten it. <laughs> No, it's the the better teams are trying to do something specific. I think the the lower teams are just swinging it in and seeing what happens, which is why it looks like they get more into the danger area rather than the better teams are aiming for a specific player within that danger area. I think that is the problem. We shall put corners in a quadrant-sized box box, uh, for now. But our
0: subject today is prompted by but is in no way restricted to a conversation about tying a yellow ribbon around a new £1,100 D squared Parker. Uh, Pep Guardiola was fined £20,000 for wearing the ribbon, which is in support of imprisoned pro-independence politicians from his native Catalonia. We're going to say Catalonia rather than the anglicised Catalonia. How do you? How do you? No, I say Catalonia. Catalonia. There we go. According to the FA, he is wearing a political message, which is something of a clunky phrase, um, and that contravenes their kit and advertising regulations. Also, recently, the FA lobbied FIFA to change their rules on wearing the poppy, which, for those outside of the UK, is a commemorative emblem for those who lost their lives in the two world wars, or is it just fighting for the country over there the, in the entire I think history? Now, I think it's now everybody. Now everybody, uh, which have been considered by FIFA, a political symbol and therefore against the rules and subject to a fine. Two examples of how footballing authorities are desperate to keep politics out of the game. But this week we're asking if there's a hypocrisy in football's relationship with politics. So for example, nation states with questionable human rights records own some of the most successful clubs or have very uh, financially beneficial tie-ins with clubs. FIFA itself remains in the shadow of a huge corruption scandal. Many of the figures involved sought to actually use their influence with the governing body for political gain in their own countries everybody loves mentioning the war when England played Germany and Argentina are seemingly singularly motivated certainly from an English point of view uh, to beat England even now many would have you believe because of the Falklands so why is it so important to keep politics and football apart and as the excellent Barney Roney says in a recent article in the Guardian if we really want to take politics out of the game we are going to have to stop calling Arsenal stadium the Emirates Cancel the next two World Cups and ban Paris Saint-Germain from European
1: football. Now you see, I, I'm going to do something I would very rarely do here, and that is quote Matthew Syed, cry laugh emoji, <laughs> uh, <laughs> double thumbs up, Rob gets hammered, etc. Uh, that's a that's a a of Matthew Syed's Twitter feed, which is not appropriate <laughs> for a man of his age. Uh, the but S- M- Syed wrote a really good article on, and that's not a sentence I say very often, either, on on the same subject not long ago, in, in light of the Guardiola thing. Again, this outlining... That's
0: why I chose Barney and not Matthew.
1: Yeah, but there's, 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 the there's loads and loads of examples of it. The, the fact that Emirates is so... That, that was actually from a from Miguel Delaney piece, which I'm much more comfortable um, quoting. Uh, Emirates is everywhere, not just on Arsenal Stadium, but the shirt, they sponsor huge numbers of teams. PSG, who are Qatari-owned, are sponsored by Emirates, which is a UAE airline... Those two countries no longer speak to each other. That is kind of unique. Same with Guardiola, who is employed by Abu Dhabi, but is an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup. He he, Pep Guardiola potentially could solve the Middle East crisis. That is. (laughs) That's how significant is
0: K.R. Singh, one of our regular contributors, says he's noted the hypocrisy of Pep stand with his yellow ribbon wearing and his role as an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup. Not because the the, the Catalina or Qatar are, are related, but simply because he, he's happy to support something that clearly gives him
2: some money. And is that not the problem with the stance that Pep Guardiola has taken over wearing the yellow ribbon? I don't think anybody would feel all that strongly either way about whether or not he has a right to take a position on that particular issue. But it has drawn the focus onto a wider problem, which the club that employs him is a massive part of so that he he has unfortunately shone a spotlight on a bigger issue than perhaps the one he was trying to bring to a wider attention i think Pep thought he was being very clever when he said that the yellow ribbon was not a
1: an explicit political statement it was simply in support of democracy which is which is fine i 'm not saying I agree or disagree, but that is that Pep has been saying consistently throughout wearing the yellow ribbon has been saying this is in support of democracy, in support of the imprisoned uh, secessionist politicians, and that he is first and foremost a football uh, a human being rather than a football manager fine he says you know it 's a human thing to to want people to have a right to express their identity and, and to have a vote.
0: And that, is, that has always been Barcelona's point of view, the yep. club, and it has always been his point of view in terms of the fact that he has never actually explicitly come out for independence, nope. simply for the right of those to self-determine.
1: And that is all absolutely fine, except that when you say this is principally a human thing, it's not specific to to, to this issue. That I'm First of all, I'm a human being, I'm not a football manager. You then invite the question, well, hang on, Pep, if you're saying... Um, that it, human rights above all. Human rights above all. You are not only working for a club <laughs> whose owners are the Abu Dhabi royal family in the UAE, where there are issues over human rights, but you are. I, I, personally, I think people might have been able to, to swallow that, but then to then go and be an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup, which he does not need to do. That's not advancing his career. You know, you can make the argument that, all right, he's, he's chosen to park his morals to work for Man City because he wants to work for Man City. He doesn't need to be an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup. That has then opened him up to those questions. So when he, when he sits there and says human rights above all, you then have to say, well, hang on, why only human rights in Catalonia? Why aren't you bothered by human rights in Qatar and the UAE yeah. to which Pep's response when he was asked at Wembley was every country chooses the way they want to live yeah. and that is not a response and I, I, I have a lot of respect for Pep and I'm sure he's a more thoughtful man than, than most, he's probably a more thoughtful man than me. But I don't think he thought. I,
2: I genuinely don't think. I think what that has exposed is that he he's not thought his position through. And a lot of Manchester City fans have leapt to Pep's defence, and again, not you know we're, we're only we're only picking on Pep because he has it's, shone a light on this particular a ta- Contemporary issue. Even though we are timeless, it is a contemporaneous mm-hmm. issue. City fans have leapt to Pep's defence and, and others as well, saying, "Well, look." the manager of Manchester City cannot control the politics of the owners of, of Manchester City. So why should he be judged on on his employment by them? But of course, Pep Guardiola, as one of the most successful and sought-after coaches in the game, could have his pick of pretty much any club in the world for whom he could could go and work. So if he's making a stance about the rights and wrongs of things, it does make that position a little bit harder to justify if you are being employed by somebody with the record that Manchester City's owners have.
1: And I suppose the counter-argument to that is that we are all in some way compromised by by our choice of employers. So, you know, I, I I used to work for The Times, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, which is morally terrible. A lot of people a lot of people seem to think that Rupert Murdoch controls all newspapers, which is really interesting. It's quite hard to argue with them. But, you know, you see people um, being being accused of, of selling their souls because they work for the Daily Mail or the Telegraph or the Sun or whatever. And I guess certainly in the media we we a lot of the a lot of the sort of holding companies that own these things, that own these outlets, aren't morally pure but then I would guess that applies in quite a lot of the corporate world, probably quite a lot of the retail. you don't have a go, someone who works at Sports Direct because they're working for Mike Ashley. No, they, people need to make money. The difference with Pep, I think, as Steve says, is that does he need to work if he if he is if human human rights are above all
2: for him, does he need to work for a football team owned by Abu Dhabi. I suspect he doesn't. A lot of fans were critical of journalists who were speaking up against Pep Guardiola's position by saying, well, look, who employs you? You work for the Daily Mail. And those journalists were, were, were making what seemed like a, a fairly reasonable point back to saying, well, look, hang on a second, what what I earn from working for the newspaper who employ me, which you may or may not feel is, you know, a acceptable employer puts food on my family's table it, mm. it covers the cost of my mortgage you know I don't earn 15 million pounds a year and I don't have a number of other news or sport publications lining up to employ me whereas that's obviously a very different situation for Pep Guardiola who could basically take his pick of employers his livelihood does not depend on on his employment by Manchester City
1: well also crucially a lot of those journalists are not saying that they place human rights above all or you know journalists who work for the Daily Mail tend not to publicly at least and I think there's actually a lot of journalists who work for the Daily Mail who disagree with the politics of it but there's a a lot there's no very few journalists who work for the Daily Mail who'll say you know I think the most important thing in the world is is that we is is unfettered immigration you never there's no hypocrisy so if look I don't agree with the politics of the Mail or the Sun or the Telegraph but I accept that they have a right to have those politics and the people who work there have a right to have those politics as long the problem comes. When you take a public position that is antithetical to the to your actions, that's the problem that Pepper's got, and it's not a, a, a Pep specific thing. It's just that he's
2: quite helpfully actually shone a light on this. And and sports journalists in particular may work for a publication for whom the politics of are are unpopular, or or who readers of other newspapers would disagree with. But if you work for the sport department of that newspaper, I think yeah. like we we both we all know uh, guys who work on on the Daily Mail and, and the Mail on Sunday for their for their sports departments and their sports coverage is, is excellent. So to hammer a football correspondent for the, the Daily Mail because of the, the politics and the news pages of the Daily Mail does seem a little bit foolish. And I I once went to visit a friend who was at Wadham College in Oxford, which is a very um, liberal uh, college at Oxford University. And I turned up on a Saturday morning and had a copy of the Daily Telegraph on me because I, I enjoyed the, the, the Daily Telegraph's um, sports section. There was outrage in the room when I walked in with a copy of the Daily Telegraph and I was like I just happen to think their sports coverage is really good and there's "Oh, yes yes I I have I have heard actually I've I've heard their sports coverage. It
0: just so happens that the sports coverage in the Daily Mail the Daily Telegraph and the Times is all excellent (laughs) (laughs) and we know a lot of people who contribute to it so we're perfectly prepared to not necessarily buy but read
1: those newspapers. I'm really I'm really I find it really troubling this kind of social I think it's social media driven and sort of very current drive for perfection because we are all in some way compromised so I know vegans who take cocaine so that's brilliant you're judging me because I'm eating sausages but anyway any idea how many (laughs) Colombians and Mexicans die if you just shovel that up your nose like it's we are all in some way compromised and that could be that your company might have the company that you work for just as a kind of someone in office or a project manager or whatever you're not the top of the chain you you might, just as sports reporters, are not the top of the chain in newspapers, yeah. although we often like to think we are. The, um, <laughs> we could define our own chain. Exactly, that's true. <laughs>
2: You're top of the chain amongst the people who pick up a newspaper and immediately turn it <laughs> yeah, over. Exactly.
1: The your company might have an offshore tax account. It might be benefiting. It might be not swindling, but it might be kind of being quite creative with its, corp- its corporate taxation. You know, it might not be support. It might be supporting negative causes or whatever. Like, it, its owner might be. Like if you work for Dyson, do you have to? You're you're a Hoover inventor for Dyson. Do you now have to sort of apologise because James Dyson bats spreads it like we a we're all we're all entitled to have different politics to each other and B we're not necessarily responsible for the politics of our of the organisation for whom we work except when you go out in public as Pep Guardiola has said and say something that ultimately is hypocritical. So
0: we have. Uh, been discussing it and it's been a little bit navel-gazy because we're trying to um, give everybody the impression that we're, we're a little self-aware when we come to yeah. calling out hypocrisy. But you're right, the, the point that we're talking about this um, is that the, the, the light has been shone upon it by Pep Guardiola, who has decided himself to become a a poster boy, so to speak, for two conflicting um, points of view, political points of view. So what would we have football do? We've talked about the authorities trying to eradicate all political expression from the game, players, um, managers, anything that's kind of consumer-facing, if you like. So is that the right attitude to take? Or should we relax everything because they should be more aware of the hypocrisy of asking no politics to be whatsoever illustrated or propagated by any of the the key players, but the clubs can be owned by people who have questionable human rights records. The owner before the current owners of Manchester City was Taksin Chinootra, who had his assets frozen because he was facing corruption charges in Thailand due to the time he had there as Prime Minister. So, are we to draw a distinction between Taksin Chinootra and the Abu Dhabi government, because one was sketchy and didn't bankroll the, the club to any great success, and the other is bringing huge amounts of success to a club and a huge amount of profile to them within the Premier League structure. And it seems to me that there's not necessarily hypocrisy in that, but double standards.
1: I think the key thing, and Steve touched on this earlier, is so. We, if we accept that Guardiola, again, just to use him as an example, has his pick of the world's clubs, which one is pure?
0: Exactly. He so can't, well, he can't get a PSG, just
1: bearing in mind the, t- <laughs> the t- limits that we put on this conversation. All of the clubs sponsored by Emirates... Because that that is a that's a state that's a state airline. So that's it's the, the money, the amount of money they put into their clubs is less than than Abu Dhabi, Bankroll Man City. But the principle is the same. And we're, I'm 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 taking it. We're all we're all saying we can't put a price on our morals. It's not that if it's only ten percent of the club's transfer budget, it doesn't count. Like we've these morals are are absolute and. Un, unchallengeable.
0: We're saying that, but it's the game saying that?
1: I think we, we should come on to that in a bit, because I think ultimately the game does not care, as Jose Mourinho becoming a pundit for Russia today makes amply clear. So you can't go to any of the Emirates clubs. Uh, you can't go to Liverpool, because Standard Chartered have been accused of, of hiding uh, illicit money and enabling money laundering. Uh, they're their main sponsors. Um, Barcelona obviously got a link with Qatar Airways. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Real Madrid is sponsored by Emirates. Um Juventus, maybe, but then obviously the, the, the stain of Telchoplex—that's so a bit dodgy. And, uh, but also the fact that it was Gaddafi's son and who, yeah, Saudi owned, owned it. Uh, I would say Juventus probably currently are. If our listeners would like to provide me with a reason yeah. why Juventus <laughs> are morally abhorrent, <laughs> then get in touch. Then, then feel free. <laughs> They're
2: going to um, win the league for a seventh consecutive yeah. season. That's a little bit infuriating.
0: But, but you're making the point that there's there's, there's very few. No, no one serve. is pure. So is this is this Desire to not have the hypocrisy so reductive that we're actually not going to be able to solve the problem at all. So that's why the game says, come on, let's fight the battles that we can win.
1: I think the, the problem within the FA or within England is it kind of mirrors the Guardiola thing where Guardiola said right this is this is my cause and I don't actually care how that necessarily fits into the, the broader network of causes what Martin Glenn said although he said it very stupidly but I'm talking about the Star of, his, the star of David yes, and he really messed that up and, I mean an ISIS badge uh, I just love my ISIS badge <laughs> <laughs> the ISIS famously do merchandise <laughs> you see, see so <laughs> much
2: of it on the touchline it's, it's almost like a, it's like pandemic almost isn't it I mean, I mean, like when th-
0: I th- wake, wake up in the morning do I choose my ISIS badge or my West Edsbury and children <laughs> badge and you I mean,
1: obviously, the problem that you've got is when you get the Isis and Star of David half and a half staff. <laughs> the, uh, the the point, the, 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 I think the FA, I'm torn on it because I partly think football needs, it would be great if football could have a cape in it and could have a, more of a social conscience. But equally, I kind of see the examples of players who do make political statements, so PK and um, and James McLean being the two most prominent amongst them, and the treatment they get. So I kind of get why the FA and UEFA and FIFA have said, look, actually, we don't want any of this N- we can't, we're can't. we not going to pick and choose. We're not going to be forced into a position where we have to pick and choose which bits are okay. So none of it is. And that does make sense. The problem the FA have got is that they've banjacked their entire logic by saying everybody has to wear the poppy all the time. And the poppy is definitely not a political, political symbol, even if you consider it a political symbol. So oh, Pep, Even if you don't want to wear it? Yeah, so PEP doesn't consider... And again, his logic we have established is hypocritical. But it doesn't consider the yellow ribbon political. He says it's an, exp- it's an expression of basic human rights. Human rights surely are not political, except they are political. You can't avoid that within the debate about about human rights. That there is a. You go to China and tell people human rights aren't political. They'll, the Communist Party will disagree with you. You go to Qatar or whatever. So the the FA's Which the
0: FA have the, the Qatari the, FA which the FA have now had a yeah. had a big sit down with and are are
1: trying to um get themselves into a long term relationship. So the, the FA are struppered by their own ridiculous fixation on the poppy, which is because of the Daily Mail. The UEFA and FIFA are compromised because they have not staunched the flow at all of any of these political kind of shenanigans at a grander sort of macro level. So Gazprom's deal with shelter, political. Emirates we've talked about. And the Champions League. And And the the Champions Champions League, League, yeah.
2: They're one of UEFA's main sponsors.
1: And obviously FIFA then giving the World Cup to Russia and Qatar, which are two nakedly political political moves. So I don't know who has the moral authority to say there shouldn't be politics in football. And so maybe in that case, you can't pick out Pep and say... This is, or does, you know, he's bad because he's doing this. It's an inherently
0: that, that, political that environment. That is small fry compared to the, yeah. the 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 issues that we've just been well,
1: talking about.
2: As you've touched upon, it is unfortunately absurd that the governing bodies of, of world and continental football say that they don't want political interference in football, whilst the people flooding the money into the game have are are companies or or countries with political influence. So. Quite, quite. How we can have this situation where you know UEFA you take that stance on on one hand, and are sponsored by Gazprom on the other is a, is of course a little bit of a farcical situation. The other thing is that, do you know what politics and life is intertwined? Yeah, yeah. It's like the person that would switch off the news, the ten o'clock news, going, "Oh, politics, boring. I can't stand politics." But like, hang on a second, you were complaining just yesterday that they only pick your bins up once a fortnight rather than once a week. You know, th- you you can't pick and choose what bits of politics you aren't interested in because it affects everybody you know your your day-to-day life so politics and life run concurrently together so it it should we just accept that politics is going to have an influence on football and try not to sort of take these occasional stands against it when we can all see that that it's happening anyway well yeah you can't avoid it and you you wonder i guess whether do you is is the more sensible approach to say
1: if it's not inciting hatred as an ISIS badge would then then maybe we we say it's not it's not for us to deal with does it we've seen in the NFL and that is the the difference with the NFL is it's a Hugh's getting
2: really excited as soon as you say those letters. No,
0: no, no. I've, I've yeah, had, he's
2: to, had t- his he's hand t- up. He's had, he had his hand up for two, about thirty two, seconds before people, you said NFL.
0: Oh. Two people have contributed to this conversation, and they have contributed to the exact last two things that we have said. Okay. So that's why I was excited Go on, crack Go on. To, to have their opinions inform our debate. Go on. You, 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 re- you read out the words you've got written down, there, <laughs> Hugh. Well, firstly, Alan Shepherd got in touch, and this this is the, the the point of view from the fans. And you were saying how difficult it was for those people who've set up a. More stance of their own how do they then engage with a game which seems to not reflect mm-hmm. those beliefs that they have so alan Shepard says i love football and also try to be a socially responsible person is this possible with the next two world cups built on foundations of corruption and slave labor am i indirectly supporting these regimes if i turn on my tv next summer to watch and he gives an example of Colombia against senegal which is obviously that. one that he's very much looking forward to <laughs> This isn't... We should find out the date of that and let everybody know. Uh, This isn't just a problem in the international game either. Like every neutral, I've loved watching Man City this season, but articles I've read on the men behind Manchester City make me feel as if I should turn off my TV entirely and just enjoy football at the local grassroots level. I should add, of course, that Man City are just one example here. Similar concerns should be raised about PSG, any team with sponsorship from the government of Azerbaijan, Mike Ashley's Newcastle, which Roy, you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. as well, or numerous lower league teams. We should say just very quickly that the, the articles written about Manchester City owners and i have to to confess i do the odd bit of work for manchester city you so do. my my pockets are lined in the same way that pep guardiola's are in a, w- yeah, with exactly I, the same amount and i and i do i work for uefa you work for uefa so the, these these we have to probably declare that before being all moralistic about the other people and Ru- you rupert murdoch essentially paid for the deposit on this house <laughs> so thanks rupert um but the, 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 the Abu Dhabi royal family are a, a big and powerful thing. Sheikh Mansour, who is the owner of Manchester City, who owns it on behalf of the royal family because he uses their money. It's not just his money that he's siphoned off and just, oh, this is my little plaything." Mm. Um, there are others who are name-checked in those pieces who aren't Sheikh Mansour. So by association... Yes, because he is part of the, the Abu Dhabi royal family who have a regime that runs a country, but not him specifically, we should say, has been named in any of these articles. I think I should probably do that. Not because his money lines my pockets. Um, very, very small pockets, which are very holy. Um, <laughs> but um, but just to be factually correct at this point. Um, so that's what uh, the kind of the fans aspect is. Do, do the fans think that they should follow football when they seem to butt up against so many of the organisations, the governing bodies, the clubs the countries that host these tournaments that seem to be everywhere and make it very difficult for you to, to, to sit and watch without any sort of uh, double standards being at play
2: Manchester City fans are rightly enjoying this moment in their history the, their, their dominance of the Premier League their potential dominance even of European competition over the next few seasons if the upward curve continues and Pep Guardiola remains in charge and they continue to spend £500 million a year on players and Do you know what? Why shouldn't they enjoy that? They've had some pretty miserable times. They've dropped down in in very recent memory to the third tier of English football. They've been the second best team in Manchester for pretty much a majority of the, the 20th and 21st century. So why shouldn't they enjoy this opportunity to be the big dog and to be winning some silverware, they've got a long way to catch up. So it, it would be a little bit churlish, wouldn't it, to, to say to them, so you shouldn't really be, this is a dirty success, isn't this? this is dirty money is paying for this success, so you shouldn't enjoy it. And then the hypocrisy comes into it that fans of other clubs complaining about this almost like financial doping of football that's enabling Manchester City to, to have all of this success because surely there's not a fan of a club in the land that doesn't wish that the money from Abu Dhabi hadn't instead been invested into their And they, would, they their
0: change their opinion based on the amount of sex, success that came their
1: way. But, like, but also, how, just, how just, far just down the league do we have to go to find a club? Does obviously it can't be Chelsea. Does that, if, if Abu Dhabi's money's dirty, then then Abr- Abramovich is certainly questionable. Uh, Manchester United, obviously, I'm the Blazers, Blazers who...
0: Which, a lot of Manchester United fans have a problem with yeah, the, where, where the Manchester United money comes from. Trump uh,
1: donors, Liverpool, obviously, as we mentioned, standard chartered, Arsenal, obviously there's, there's the Kroenke side of it and the Usmanov side of it. Uh, Spurs, I suspect you could probably make a case that Joe Lewis, who is the ultimate owner, doesn't pay quite as much tax in this country as he might do. Um, the so how far how far down do we? Not, I'm not saying anyone's doing anything legal, by the way. I'm just saying that none of these clubs are run by
2: church charities. Well, well, even in the last few days, I've we've heard seen, a few bad things about church charities. By well, the way, absolutely terrible, like parish councils. <laughs> we've had the situation in the last week or so where. Other championship clubs, that's the second tier of English football for anybody uh, listening outside of England, have complained about uh, the way that Wolverhampton Wanderers is being run because uh, football agent Georges Mendez, uh, who owns uh, Jester Fute, is that the the name of the firm that he, he runs, is having a heavy influence, is funneling an awful lot of the players in his stable into the club. They're having a fantastic season. They're going to be promoted to the Premier League. But obviously, a lot of other championship clubs feel that this is unfair, that they've got this sort of control of a large corner of the market and that they've raised concerns about perhaps there's a third party ownership being involved in in some of these players so even in the championship there's there's an issue about the sort of the 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 moral rights or wrongs of a running of a football club and Wolves'
1: owners are Chinese uh, Fosun who have a link I think they own part of Jesterfoot they invested in Jesterfoot a few years ago which I think is strictly speaking against the rule you're not allowed to have an ownership group and not allowed to have an interest in an agency and vice versa. So, yeah, there's, there's, again, there's a moral question mark there. The other thing I think that's really important to say, and we've tried to be self-aware whilst having this conversation and admitting to our own our own kind of compromises, but w- where do you draw the line in answer to Alan Shepard? Where do you draw the line if you say, right, I'm not watching football anymore because it's too political? Fine, that's your call. If that's what you want to do, that's, that's brilliant. Are you going to start not buying certain foods, not shopping in certain shops, not using certain banks... Not watching, obviously you can't have Sky, and I imagine you can't have Virgin. I suspect you probably can't even have BT internet because...
2: I mean, well, you can't watch the BBC because whichever way, you know, the BBC is biased, biased to whichever is the, yeah. the, the opposite way into, to which you are biased. The, there will be people who do that. And my,
1: my brother has gone non-dairy. Because he doesn't like the, the dairy industry. And that's <laughs> I thoroughly. I
0: he didn't like cows.
1: <laughs> no, he, he used to really hate cows, but now he wants them all to stay alive. Uh, no, he doesn't like the dairy industry, he thinks it's doing damage. He's drawn da- non dairy for environmental reasons, and that's thoroughly admirable. I'm not criticising him at all. We all make our choices. But Robert Smith, paragon of virtue though he is, will make other compromises that he doesn't consider compromises because they, they fit in with his life. And that, that is kind of what we all do. So I, I wouldn't say you have to stop watching football because Abu Dhabi and Qatar are involved. And the one thing I would say, and I think this is really important, this the argument about both Qatar and Abu Dhabi is it's for soft power. So we know that foreign foreign owners are coming into English football and big companies have got invested in European football for various different reasons. Some of them are financial, some of them like are are, are to do with Hiding in plain sight, so it's much safer. Safer if you're a Russian oligarch, for example, to be a high-profile figure in the West, because it means that if Putin's trembling turns against you, you may be a bit less likely to be assassinated. Um, some some owners like Abramovich are in it are in it for for publicity, basically as a as a security measure. Effectively, others want to make money. The Glazers and and FSG at Liverpool. Um, we know that Qatar and Abu Dhabi. The, it's all part of this soft power grab that's why Qatar has the world cup that's why Abu Dhabi spent a billion pounds on the club
0: a global I, marketing strategy basically it's to kind
1: of well i think it's beyond that i think it's to and i forget where i'm stealing this thought from it's it's to embed themselves in the consciousness of the west so that if there's a change of the a change of wind politically they they have the support of of their allies in the west and I they think can, was, i think boris johnson I was the first person to say that oh no is that right no. <laughs> the, uh, I'm sure it was, it was somewhere that No, <laughs>
0: we're going to come on to Boris Johnson in just a second to the, wrap up our conversation the, I- the idea is that if,
1: if I guess if something bad happens in the Middle East that Qatar can then say to the Americans and to, to the EU look we are your friends we own we've got a Dudenheim we've, we own Paris Saint-Germain we, you know, we have, we've put, had the World Cup They lo- lo- love us put loads of money into Barclays during the yeah. The we built, we built you the shard come on lads it's time to pay us back and that's fine that all makes sense but I don't think it works because to tie it at the World Cup and all they've heard for the last eight years is your human rights are appalling. Who, who amongst the millions of people who've been reached by that story, football fans, there will be obviously hugely politically aware people who and worldly people who are interested in, in that subject who will have known about it before. But the, the problems of the Kefala system of, of indentured labour... That is something that w- the world basically has found out about because Qatar went and bought the World Cup. The extra scrutiny that comes from your efforts
0: to be a bigger player on the world stage is something that's, that's, that's hard to reconcile at the moment. The other, the other person that I wanted to bring in here is the, the conversation, because you mentioned the NFL, and earlier you mentioned Colin Kaepernick, uh, from Gillian Rocheville. Who's,
2: like, did you? Did you? I did, yeah. Oh, did you? I I don't remember that. I I I hear him say it and I just go, She's just always thinking about Colin Kaepernick. Who
0: isn't? It's the players aspect. And Gillian says, I'm definitely not one of those keep sports and politics separate people as I believe that people in privileged positions can use their platforms to raise awareness of social issues. However, I'm having a hard time envisioning something similar to the take-a-knee protests happening in the Premier League. Do you think the higher stakes of the Premier League make it difficult for players to take stands for issues they believe in? Which is another way of saying, and this draws us back to the beginning, if you're getting paid enough, do you allow your morals to slip somewhat?
1: No, because Kaepernick didn't, and Kaepernick staged the protest, and it became a movement, and it's, we've seen the same but, in. But he wasn't. He wasn't playing at the time. No, but LeBron was when they did the hoods up after the shooting in Florida. So that I think, and this is this is just a guess, is it? Does it's a closed system? American in U.S. sports, it's U.S. players playing on the on U.S. soil aware of of kind of US social issues in football you have and obviously I know there's players from other countries but it's you know largely but in basketball there's Argentinians and Spaniards and what have you but largely it's it's a US sport in in terms of the NBA whereas in football it's a much broader church so it's much harder to, to find those things those subjects, those issues that unite everybody. We saw it not that long ago. With them, um, several players made a kind of crossed hands gesture to protest against slave, slave, slavery in Libya. All oh, right. Okay. It, it wasn't. It, it wasn't was Wakanda. It wasn't Wakanda. <laughs> no, it was before the. It was before the Wakanda thing. I don't know the scenario anymore, so I don't really know what that's about. <laughs> the um. Just about no, Wakanda. I think, I think Podba was one, and there were a couple in Italy who made this this symbol, and it was part of a campaign. Well, obviously, we've seen Common Goal and Matter. So there are there is a social consciousness to football, but I think in terms of finding the, the groundswell of support for a political movement, it's really hard because it's played all over all over the world. There's lots of players who are live, who are essentially migrant labour in, in different countries. They don't really care about the issues, and I think the other thing that we've seen throughout it all, and the Mourinho going to RT thing is quite an example of this because it's a minor one, but I, I do find it really surprising that he's done that. Is I don't think people think about it enough. I don't think there's people around the, these figures saying that's maybe not a great idea. Or do you know what? You should be you should be up in arms about that. You can see why they they might discourage them because James McLean makes every year makes a very very subtle acknowledgement of his roots by not wearing a poppy and is abused for it every single year. You go to Derry, there is no way James McLean can wear a poppy. It's ridiculous to assume that James McLean will wear a poppy, but. The country as a whole is not mature enough to recognise that. So I wonder if that that will put players off. But I think the, the crucial thing is a lot of them, the vast majority, just it just they are, they are apart from these issues. The players,
0: the the, the, the players um, certainly from the American sports point of view, the, the the players will probably feel very differently depending on the way their sport is structured traditionally, and um, with the kind of people who run the sport and also the the, the way that they feel they have agency which is something that we've talked about a lot word we've used a lot on Sepi's menu that if you're in in the NBA the tradition is is that the relationship between the commissioner and the players is a very open one and there is a line of communication there is an understanding that the players have incredible value and roles there are also fewer players Involved um, in the NFL, one of the criticisms is is that there is no line of communication between the commissioner and his players. The players are seen to be a lot more like workers, not participants, contributors, partners, um, and so that was why. Well, that was one of the reasons why Colin Kaepernick did what he did. It was also one of the reasons why it was so hugely um, criticised by those. In the game because the demographic of the, the owners, the demographic of the fans, very, very different to demographic of the fans and owners in the NBA. Uh, let's finish by talking about something slightly lighter, which is something suggested recently by Boris Johnson that England should or maybe should think about boycotting the World Cup because of the, uh, the political, ethical, uh, moral difficulty um, faced with the England team going to Russia. Can you ever imagine anything like that happening? Is there a genuine path to England as a nation thinking we are going to stand up against what we feel is politically, morally anodyne. We are going to not go to the World Cup.
2: No, <laughs> no, because as we've already discussed, football will tell you that there is no political influence in football. Football and politics are two separate things. So the FA's position would be that they were, were there representing England as a football team and this was not that
0: makes no political point exactly
2: it and it, it, it was not that but by that by being in russia england was not somehow condoning sh- condo- yeah, yeah condoning russian foreign policy i think that's right i mean it, it obviously there was a the boycott of the 1980 olympics and
1: was there a, was there a tit for tat boycott of 84 by, by the Soviets? by the soviet union yes the um but that, i guess that's a different era i think now in a kind of time of railpolitik and moral ambiguity I think it's really unlikely I mean I'm amazed, I'm amazed the Dutch haven't tried to spin their terrible qualification as a boycott <laughs> well the, 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 we should finish by saying we've
0: talked about extremes we, we've talked about politics and football being completely separated we've talked about the fact that it's impossible mm-hmm. to separate it a boycotting of a World Cup is the former to suggest that everything in the game is is driven to keeping them apart that would be the end game wouldn't it and yet in providing an end game of that we shall not do that is to 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 play a part in the second point is yeah, it?
1: Yeah you 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 you're saying everything should be separate and you, to do to do that you're making a political statement yeah. which is kind of the problem in a nutshell
0: there we go, that was 15 seconds instead of 50 minutes. Um, it's a, a terrible shame that we couldn't have Chinch's feelings on politics and football, hypocritical not, moral rectitude, all these things, because I know he has very de- developed thoughts. Um, but in his absence, it is still time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story, when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed. So, Andrew, in the ether, somewhere, over to you. What I always like is a chinch soccer story that I didn't actually know had occurred. I always imagine you... What? Just sitting by a fire with a large armchair.
3: Just in a pair of underpants? Just in a pair oh, of... Well, I see, underpants yeah, that wouldn't happen, would So, it? Yeah. you know, with everybody Gym having that, that in mind... Yeah, yeah continue. <laughs> well, I was told this happened to me, and it's quite a big thing, so I'm quite surprised that I didn't know this had happened. I'd, I'd ruptured my ACL in my left knee and had been out for six months, so worked incredibly hard to get fit again. So, the start of must have been the 1998 99 season. Um, I'd come off the bench against Bolton for Everton. For the big comeback. For the big comeback, but that's just as a substitute. Were their tears? Uh, for most of the other Everton players, they were very disappointed to see me back. <laughs> the 1998
2: um, 99 season is always remembered, by the way, for Chinch's heroic comeback from injury. It, yes.
3: it is, but that was my first appearance as a substitute. 0 0 draw against Bolton, say no more. My first start after this long term injury. Was against Derby. George Burley's Derby. It, George Burley's Derby? Steve? Possibly. 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 We'll say it is. We don't really know. <laughs> the problem was. You don't really know this happened. My first start, I got sent off. <laughs> <laughs> Those lord are tears. Ta- yeah, but I, I didn't even know. Oh, and here oh, it is. Oh, man alive. Here
2: it is. Is it
3: back? Oh, good lord. It's awful, isn't it? I absolutely. Hacks down. Well, oh. hang, on. hang on, should we not get Chinch to commentate on this as he would now? <laughs> yeah, okay. But I, the thing that, were, that I'm not pointing the finger at other Everton players, but I'm going to point the finger at other Everton players. <laughs> <laughs> They're Gary Speed there saying, don't worry, Chinch, you absolute fool, <laughs> you, you, you're off. You untucked your top as if to it's, say, that's my day done. <laughs> but you,
0: do you see my reaction? I do love you? know the I did untucking take of the out. shirt.
2: That is like standard, yeah. isn't it? I'm, I've, I've been sent off. The yeah. first thing I must do is roll down my socks and untuck two, my two shirt.
3: Two other Everton players have missed tackles. I was clearly doing their job for them. I completely take out the man. But the thing... I, I, I didn't
1: remember Paul Pesca Salido uh, Paul Pesca Salido yeah, yeah. It's yeah. interesting there That Nicky Barnby And I think Graham Stewart Have gone to plead your case <laughs> Not really They said you should have Sent him off sooner <laughs> um,
3: But uh, how can you not Remember after a long layoff You think it'd be Etched in your mind Your first star After that long layoff I got sent off And it's something That I had to be reminded Thank you Steve Had actually happened the
2: worst thing Terrible about, The worst thing about it Is that you had just Recovered from a very Serious injury And you deserve mm. Great credit for doing so yeah. And the first thing You do Is to try and inflict Serious injury <laughs> On Paul Pesca Well Who never was played it again this time, If you were
3: commentating On that Would you say it's There's malice <laughs> In that
1: challenge there's, i say ineptitude
2: That as well For a, for a Professional foul There's yeah. a little bit too much physicality in it's an yeah, one, it. Yeah, I think you could have just tripped him. I don't think you need oh, no, no, no. I don't think you needed to go in shin high.
3: I tackled with the wrong leg, I tackled with my left leg as well. I should have I can't tackle with my right I couldn't pass with my right foot. How many times you get sent off in your career? Uh, as far as I know it was
0: twice. <laughs> so 50% oh. of your red cards you've forgotten.
3: The other one I do remember that was only when I was about eighteen years old for verbally abusing linesman. I'm ashamed what, of did that. You s- what do you say? I clearly can't tell you <laughs> I might have said, linesman, that's a terrible decision. That was definitely our throw-in. Did, did you, what do you think I said to him? Did you question his integrity? His integrity? <laughs> um, did you accuse him of being... Legit- <laughs> legitimate fair. Uh, <birth. laughs> I was so angry. But, you know, you get in the dressing room and you think, he did have a point. I've sh- been booked for a terrible tackle and then verbally abused the linesman. Off. He doesn't
2: swear much, Chinch. I'm surprised at him. Why do you think his memory is so bad? Because he didn't head the ball that often, did he? <laughs> well, I mean, he there did. was the one, the one he scored with a yes, header. Yes, the one that he scored with a header, uh,
0: which he celebrated famously with a five going up to the, to the fans. And he very recently sent us a picture of his granddaughter, Primrose, mm. uh, from within a cot, I'm assuming in Portugal, with her hand up to the sky, as if to suggest she had already learned the Hinchcliffe hinch trait. The
2: signal. Yeah. Uh, I've got one thing and this is me. Do you think we're going to have to get used to hearing from Chinch from Beyond These Shores on a more regular basis? Do you think he's we basically we're going to gradually Lose him to Portugal more I think often. That's a negative way of looking at it. I think we're just going to have to go to Portugal more <laughs> often
1: to record the podcast.
0: <laughs> at set piece menu or SetPieceMenu at gmail.com is how you get in touch. Uh, thank you for sticking with us and what has been a fascinating uh, subject, hopefully, that you have enjoyed. If you have any thoughts upon it, please do get in touch. A lot of people, even prior to us having the conversation, prompted it with uh, with the Pep story in the newspapers uh, recently and, of course, everything else that's uh, to come over the next few years. SetPieceMenu at gmail.com or at SetPieceMenu. Menu. Please, in the meantime, do subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory and Steve, and thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set-piece menu very soon indeed. It's better without Chinch, isn't it? Well, we kind of... we, we When we do something serious, and Chinch is here, he tends to... to, to employ the role of asking questions because he doesn't really understand very much. Oh, that's me. Which is very useful because I don't understand very much and I'm so fascinated by the conversation that I actually forget to
1: ask questions. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is bare-faced lie, that is. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. I gave you cake, let me have the lie. It was really nice, I'm amazed you made it. I feel really bad about my, um, about my gingerbread
2: now. Well, I'm don't gonna don't gonna do. feel bad, it's excellent. I really no, we, I'm can, ice we can it. get to the gingerbread now. going to ice it and put some Smarties on it. Well, it's left on the side, I'm eating it. Good, um, good luck getting the icing <laughs> and the Smarties on a gingerbread <laughs> before it's all gone.
1: That's the only... And Next up is an Uzbek flatbread. <laughs> That's my next baking thing.